The world has changed since the last episode of Down Ballot Counts. I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor at Bloomberg Government. And with me, as always, is senior reporter Greg Giroux. Along with our producer, David Schultz, we are recording this pod in three different locations because, like Americans all over the country, we've been asked to work from home in reaction to the coronavirus. So you may hear my daughters in the background, but like all of you, we are just trying to make it work. Uh, Today, we will interview New York Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, a Democrat whom we originally booked to talk politics, but we'll be swerving a little to talk about our new reality and how the state with the biggest city is handling everything. We were there with 99% of the precincts counted. Number of other key down-ballot races. This is a very dramatic turn. We will have to look. House will be in order. Chair requests that members clear the aisle, take seats, and cease audible conversation. From Washington, this is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. And as we do each week, We'll kick this off with Jero's Gem. Thank you, Kyle. Jero's Gem, my number of the week is 37. That's how many running years that an Illinois Democrat with the surname Lipinski has served in Congress. I'm referring first to Bill Lipinski, who represented part of Chicago and some of its suburbs from 1983 until his retirement in 2005, when he was succeeded by his son, Dan Lipinski, who continues to hold the district, Illinois' third district. The Lipinski dynasty will be put to the test on Tuesday when Dan Lipinski, one of the least liberal Democrats in Congress and one of its few anti-abortion Democrats, faces serious primary opposition, including from Marie Newman, who almost unseated Lipinski in the 2018 Democratic primary and who has backing from some progressive organizations and individuals, including Emily's List and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez of New York. So, 37, that's your Jero's Gem of the Week. This is Bloomberg Government's Down Ballot Counts. Okay, joining me now is Kathy Hochul, the Lieutenant Governor of New York, Chair of the Democratic Lieutenant Governors Association, and a former member of Congress. Lieutenant Governor, thanks so much for joining me today. Very happy to talk about issues that are so important to people in our country, and thanks for having me on. So the national and local response to coronavirus is rapidly changing. Uh, we're recording this Monday at 10 a.m. And just in the past 24 hours, we learned, you know, New York City schools, restaurants and bars would be closing. Can you talk just a little bit about how that decision was made? And is there consideration for doing that for the whole state? Well, we are looking at the hot spots on New York City, Westchester, Suffolk County and Nassau County, which comprise Long Island, started showing a higher concentration of cases So the governor spent considerable time with the leaders of those communities, the mayor and the county executives, to identify a solution to that and making sure that, number one, that healthcare workers, our nurses, doctors, physicians, assistants, will be able to still go to their work, which is critically important as we're ramping up to prepare for the worst case scenario, but also making sure that children who are accustomed to getting their lunches and their breakfast and uh, subsidized meals that are maybe the only meal they're going to get that those are still available. So once we address those problems, we realize that it's it's a, a safer option to make sure that people are more in isolation, not gathering in, in schools as they otherwise would be. So it was a very difficult decision uh, thought out by the governor and our administration, but we believe that this is in the best interest of the community at this time. So a lot of changes, but this literally changes by the hour. Um, basically, our problem is that the federal government could be doing so much more, deploying the resources that we know are available. I've been a member of Congress. I know what the federal government can do. Our governor, Andrew Cuomo, was the secretary of HUD under 
Bill Clinton for eight years. We know what the federal government can do. They're not doing what they should be and can be doing at this time, such as allowing the deployment of the Army Corps of Engineers to go into our communities, go into our now vacated dormitories and vacated prisons and places that are now available and start building up and ramping up for healthcare. We're gonna need so many more hospital beds because we haven't seen the beginning of what this is going to do and how it's going to overtax our healthcare system. That's what the states are having to do in the absence of leadership from the Trump administration. But if we had an administration that was functioning properly, these decisions would be already made. We would have had more testing. We'd have more resources from the federal government. And we'd have uniform decisions so it's not case by case by state. Uh, for example, if we limit the number of people who go to restaurants and bars in New York City now, uh, people just go over to New Jersey and go over to Connecticut. Well, that doesn't make sense. So we need to have more uniformity. That's what's lacking from the, the federal government. And that's what we are in the states are trying to work through. That's why it's so challenging. Yeah, well, I was, that was my next question. How much coordination has there been with the federal government? Obviously, Congress still hasn't passed its coronavirus aid legislation. Um, but can you describe the quality of communication between the different levels of government? Because obviously you're dealing with New York City government as well, state and then federal, both Congress and the, the Trump administration. How challenging has this all been? It is challenging, but again, this is where experience matters. Our governor has federal experience in addition to being governor now, and he we are on top of this. We know how to deploy the resources. We have been on top of this as best we humanly can. And I would also say that the governor says he is in regular communication with the president and the vice president. That is ongoing as they are now listening to our recommendations, such as allowing us to have private labs now available to do testing because before one of the, the logjam was is that everything had to go through the FDA and the CDC. So everything that was a test had to be sent to Atlanta, for God's sakes, tested. And they had a logjam there, so it was taking time for results to get back. We are starting to ramp up the testing now. And in one area in New York State, which is in Westchester County, New Rochelle, we have literally drive-up testing. I know the governor uh, instituted this last week to allow people to stay in their vehicles and get tested in one of our hot spots. We have the highest number of confirmed cases in America today, and we are taking this very seriously. But beyond just testing, we are sounding the alarm that this is going to overtax our healthcare facilities like never before. We know exactly how many hospital beds we have. We know how many ICU beds we have. We know what percentage of people testing positive are ending up in hospitals. And we're not going to be able to handle this without a strong federal response. And that's what we've been talking about. So the communication is good, but the leadership has to be more adaptable and change quickly and give national a national response as opposed to just letting all the states handle it. But in the absence of that leadership, we will absolutely step up as we have been for the last few months. And I know you and the governor of uh, both uh, talked about flattening the curve, and, and that sort of goes to what you're talking about with, you know, the need for more hospital beds, and uh, et cetera. But what are the most important things everyday New Yorkers and Americans should know about preparation and prevention? What, what, are, you, what are you really pushing uh, right now? This social distancing is important, and, you know, we certainly saw a lot of people gathering to celebrate what would have been the St. Patrick's Day Parade in New York City, and St. Patrick's Day is actually on Tuesday, and so 
I, I, we just have to tell people, you can celebrate next year. You can have St. Patrick's Day, you know, six months from now. But we have to just literally have more social distancing because someone who feels perfectly fine, a 20- or 30-year-old, feeling great, they don't know that they're actually contract or passing it on to someone else who they may not even know is undergoing chemo treatments, uh, a colleague at work who has uh, emphysema or an older person. So we all have to be cognizant, like regardless of how well you feel, you could be a carrier. The, the new cases in Erie County, I live in Buffalo, New York, the other end of the state. Our newest cases are 20 and 30 year olds. That is what we have to be concerned about, but also just the basic things, like how many times a day can you wash your hands when you're out there shopping, getting your supplies, make sure you're wiping down the shopping cart if you can and trying to avoid contact with people online. But I'll tell you what we're concerned about. We have an election coming up, and our election is April 28th, and we are talking about finding alternative ways because you do not want to have senior citizens Coming to work as the poll watchers, you don't want to have people in lines. I'm concerned about my father in Florida, 83 years old. He just said, oh, I can't wait to go out and vote uh, tomorrow in the primary. He's like, Dad, I'm not sure you should. Uh, Maybe you should see if there's early voting and you can stagger your participation so you're not in a long line tomorrow. So I'm checking on that for him. But we have to know that we can't deal in fear because fear is paralyzing. And that's what we're trying to do with getting out least daily, but sometimes three, four times a day, new data out to the public. So we're dealing in the science, the facts, the realities, and a lot of what's going on on social media is not factually based. It's creating fear. And you know, someone said, I heard there's a lockdown in New York City that no one's allowed to come or go. That is not true. So this is what we have to overcome as state leaders as well. And, and everyone's being tested, but we also have to send out a message. This is a city, this is a state that had to deal with 9-11. We had to postpone an election that was because 9-11 was literally an election day. It was a primary day for us in New York. And people showed up a week later. You know, they adjusted their behavior. We, we had an economy that tanked as a result of 9-11. And we came back and we're stronger than ever before. We have to continue the messages that we're dealing in the realities. We're doing the best we can to prepare. Our leadership in our state is second to none in terms of preparation. We're proud of that, but we're not going to declare victory for quite a while, and and we're going to have an economy that has to be brought back. And we are deeply concerned about the policies, paid family leave, paid sick leave, health care for everyone, making sure that we have quality child care. More than ever before, I believe that Americans are going to see that Democrats have been right all along on these issues, and that'll actually have a positive impact when we need to have new leadership in Washington. Well, I want to I want to ask you uh, just a, a few questions uh, on politics. Um, we're talking about elections, and for now, voters are still voting. The number of Democratic lieutenant governors shot up in the 2018 midterms. Are there any LG races we should keep an eye on this cycle? I think everyone should be looking at North Carolina this year. You know, we have a number of races this year. We have some incumbents. So number one, it's about incumbent protection. We also have a number of our lieutenant governors, as is fairly often the case, running for governor. And we are helping out in those races as well in Montana and Vermont. And some of our colleagues are taking the next step on the rung as being down ballot individuals. A lot of people are uh, going for that next level. But also, um, we're very excited about the success we had just in Kentucky. Our organization didn't have a reason to exist before because there were only 14 of us when I was elected back in 2014. Now there's 24 of us, 
And that was a pickup with uh, Jackie Coleman in Kentucky, a big race that the whole country is watching. We supported her race financially. And now I'm telling everyone to put your eyes on North Carolina. We have a great governor, Governor Cooper, but unfortunately the way it's set up, he has a Republican Lieutenant Governor who is running against him for governor. So in that race, there'll be an open seat for Lieutenant Governor and Governor Cooper needs to have a partner he can trust and very excited to announce that we just have a brand new candidate who won her primary, Yvonne Lewis Holly. I just spoke with her, a, a strong woman, African-American woman who would be the first African-American female candidate uh, winning statewide if she wins in November. And we are all in with her. I spoke to her just a couple days ago, told her we'll help her with polling, fundraising, helping her find staff. Uh, our leadership, uh, Roshan, met with her just a couple days ago in Washington when she was there. So we are, we are aggressively trying to flip North Carolina uh, to get a higher voter turnout to help our governor, help our Senate, Senate races, but also to make sure that the lieutenant governor is the same party as the governor so they can be together, particularly as we deal with the crises that are unfolding by the hour. Well, along with, uh, you know, helping with actually just running the state government, lieutenant governors are, all, are also, uh, you know, launch pads to higher office. Are there any rising stars among, among the current crop of LGs we should be aware of? They are all rising stars, in my opinion. <laughs> I have a great executive committee. I have, uh, and, and you know, the, the fascinating thing about lieutenant governors, we have so much diversity. Uh, we have more females. We have uh, individuals who are African-American, Hispanic, people with disabilities. Uh, it's just fascinating to see the incredible diversity of our lieutenant governors. And statistically, you know, they are the, the category of elected officials who are most likely to ascend to governorships. So in one sense, you know, we have our own responsibilities. We have, you know, we, I'm president of the Senate, and many times we have to you know, focus on those responsibilities in the legislature. But what lieutenant governors bring to the table, and every one of them has this, they are often the ones who are more likely to be out in the communities, out there making the economic development announcements. And that's why I've wanted to elevate the DLGA to have a larger voice when it comes to our national our, our presidential candidates and to be a real player. And for the first time now, we'll have a voting role at the Democratic Convention. We are a sanctioned Democratic committee. We work closely with Tom Perez, a good friend of mine from our Buffalo days together. And I've worked, you know, followed his career through, since the very beginning. So we have built relationships in a relatively short time. I've just been head of this since December and we've only been in existence a year and a half. All right, well, we'll have to leave it there. New York Lieutenant Governor Kathy Hochul, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate you being on the podcast. All right, thank you for having me. Take care. This is Down Ballot Counts. It's trivia time on Down Ballot Counts. Each episode, I try to stump you, the listeners, with a political trivia question. Well, let's first review last week's question and answer. And my question was, who is the only female medical doctor in the Congress? And the answer is Kim Schreier, a first-term Democrat from Washington State who is a pediatrician. Congratulations to those who knew the answer. For this week's question, as I mentioned on Jero's Gems at the start of this program, a Lipinski has been serving in Congress from Illinois for 37-plus years. My question is, for how many years has someone with the surname of Dingle served in Congress. And I am, of course, referring to the storied Michigan Democratic family, last name spelled D-I-N-G-L. 
E-L-L. You may email your answer to bgovpodcast at bgov.com or tweet your answer to the Bloomberg government Twitter handle at bgov and use the hashtag downballotpod. We'll reveal the answer and ask a new question on next week's program. The producer for Down Ballot Counts is David Schultz. You can follow us on Twitter at Kyle Trigstad and at Greg Giroux. And be sure to check out all the great politics coverage on Bloomberg Government's website, about.bgov.com. We'll talk to you next week. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, superfund, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater... That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for listening.